Bell, I want to welcome everyone here who is uh, watching us either here at our Sugarloaf campus or our Mill Creek campus. We welcome you today. And those who may be watching on the web by live streaming, we're thrilled that you joined us today. Now, if you've lived long enough, you know what I'm about to tell you is true. Relationships are messy. I mean, they're just, they, they just are. The, the marriage that you thought was made in heaven somehow takes a detour to the road to hell. The, um, the person that you thought would be your BFF, you know what that means? Best friend forever. Okay, a lot of you get, need to get with it. All right, BFF, that means best friend forever. Well, that person that you once thought would be your BFF, your best friend forever, they're not even your friend anymore, and you hope you don't even see them in forever, right? I mean, relationships are, are, are messier. They're, they're like newborn babies. Every once in a while, they mess on themselves, and you have to clean them up. I mean, that's just the way relationships are. Now, I got to thinking about this. You would think that family relationships would be different. You, you would think that people who are blood kin to each other would have it together. You would think that people who share the same, you know, heritage and the same ancestors, you would think if anybody could keep a relationship straight and keep it clean, it ought to be a family. Now, I realize there's some of you out there right now thinking, I'm sure glad you don't know my family, okay? You may be in one of those dysfunctional families, but let me give you some good news. If you think your family has problems or you think you're involved in a relationship that is just messed up, I want you to consider the mayhem that was created in one family. This just happened just not long ago. When 76-year-old Bill Baker of London, England, recently married Edna Harvey. Now, getting married is not unusual. People get married all the time. What is unusual, and it's not unusual that a 76-year-old man gets married, okay? Senior adults get married all the time. That's not what is unusual. Here's what's unusual. What is unusual was... <clears throat> that when Bill Baker married Edna Harvey, Edna Harvey happened to be Bill Baker's granddaughter's husband's mother. In other words, Bill Baker married his granddaughter's mother-in-law. Okay, you got that? So he marries his granddaughter's mother-in-law. Now, according to Baker's granddaughter, Lynn, that's where the family relationships really got messed up. Because listen to what she says. She said, it hit me one day. My grandfather married my mother-in-law. Now think about where that puts me. My mother-in-law is now my step-grandmother. My grandfather is now my step-father-in-law. My mom is now my sister-in-law. My brother is now my nephew. And what's even crazier, I'm now married to my uncle and my children are my cousins. Now you think you got problems in your marriage. You think you're messed up. Well, the truth of the matter is relationships do go off the rails. And the reason why they do, as we've been talking about over the last several weeks, is because of what we call faults. And we've learned that earthquakes are caused by faults. And a fault is when the surface of the earth separates. And when the surface of the earth separates, that leads to tremors, that leads to earthquakes. And what we've been saying is that in a similar way, our faults cause relational earthquakes. Because whenever a relationship is severed, whenever a relationship is ruptured, it doesn't matter how it happens, somebody is always at fault. Now, what we've done over the last several weeks is we've been dealing with a scenario where we're the ones that are at fault. We're dealing with a scenario where we're the ones that broke it. We're the ones that need to fix it because we are the ones that broke it. We're the one that caused the relationship to be ruptured. We're the ones that ruined the relationship. Now... 
When that's the case, let me just by way of review, I told you over the last three weeks, I said, when you have broken the relationship, you're the one at fault. It's your fault. You did it. I said, there are three steps you've got to take in order to repair that relationship, all right? Step number one we said was confession. And, 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 and we said we, we have to confess our fault to God because anytime you sin, you always sin first against God. But then after you confess that fault to God, if you've offended someone or hurt someone, you've got to go to confess that fault to whoever it is that you've hurt. We said that's step one. Week before last, we said step two is repentance. We said, look, it's not just enough to say, okay, I'm sorry, I blew it, I messed up. We said real sorrow leads to repentance, which simply means that by God's grace, you want to say to that person and say to God, I'm sorry for what I did, and with God's help, I'll never, ever do that again. I want to repent and turn away from what caused the problem. Then last week, we said the third step is acceptance. We said you've got to accept God's forgiveness, and you've got to forgive yourself because oftentimes I see this so often in my ministry people will come to me and they'll say you know I've got this problem in my, and, and, and I feel so guilty and I feel so dirty and I feel so bad and then I'll say okay well let, let's confess it let's, so I've already confessed it well you need to repent well I've already repented but I still have these feelings and so what you've got to do is learn that when God forgives you you've got to forgive yourself so that's what we talked about in that scenario now today beginning today we're going to flip the scenario and that is, how do you repair a relationship when you're not the one that ruptured it? You're not the one that broke it. It's not your fault, it's their fault. Or to make it personal, it's not my fault, it's your fault. So if you and I have a relationship that got off the rails and I didn't do anything, you're the one that did it. I'm not the one that broke it, you broke it. I'm not the one that caused the tremors, you did how in the world are you going to fix it? When it's not me, it's you that caused the problem. In other words, we're going to answer over the next several weeks a very tough question. And here's the question. What do you do when you're not the one that needs to get forgiveness, but the one who needs to give forgiveness? Now you say, well, pastor, why, why do you say that's such a tough thing? Because you think about it, you'll, you'll find this is true. Which is easier, to get forgiveness or give forgiveness? You know what it is. It's, it's relatively easy to go to someone and say, look, I messed up. I'm sorry. I'm the one that caused the problem. Okay, that's one thing. It's an entirely different matter to let someone come to you or even more, you go to them and try to give forgiveness. It's a lot easier to ask for forgiveness than it is to give it. C.S. Lewis wisely said this. He said, everybody thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they've got something to forgive. That's true. Everybody thinks we ought to all be forgiving until we're the ones that we that have to forgive. And you may be one of those people right now that you painfully know what I'm talking about. Because there's some of you listening to me right now, and there's something you never leave home without. And no, I'm not talking about a credit card. I'm talking about a grudge. There's some of you that went to bed last night with a grudge. There's some of you got up this morning with a grudge. There's someone that no matter what else you take with you, you may forget your wallet, you may forget your phone, you may forget this, you may forget that, but there's one thing you never forget to carry with you. That's a grudge. That's bitterness. That's anger over someone that has hurt you and done you wrong. As a matter of fact, 
a study in the Journal of Adult Development found that 75% of those surveyed believed that they have been forgiven by God for past mistakes. Did you hear that? 75% of adults who feel like, who, you know, they were, the ones that, they were the ones that fought. They were the ones that did wrong. 75% of them believe they have been forgiven by God for past mistakes. But only 52% of them said they've forgiven someone who's hurt them. 75% said, oh, God's forgiven me. But 52%, only 52% say they have forgiven others. So in other words, basically half the people walking around the streets today and walking around our cities today and driving up and down our neighbors today who've been hurt by somebody, 50% of those people say, I haven't forgiven that person. I'm still mad at that person. I'm still angry at that person. Now, hopefully, you've learned by now that there really is only one remedy for ruptured relationships, just one. And the only remedy for a ruptured relationship is forgiveness. And I've told you that just as there are steps you have to take in order to get forgiveness, there are also steps you have to take in order to give forgiveness. And what I want to talk about this morning is this. When you're in a relationship that's been ruptured, you're in a friendship that's been fractured, you're in a marriage that's been mangled, there is one thing that has to take place. There is one step that you have to take in order to repair that relationship, even if you're not the one that caused it, even if you're not the one that's at fault. And if this one step does not take place, that relationship will never be fixed. And that one step is confrontation. Now, I want you to say that word out loud with me. Ready? Say it. Confrontation. All right? Now, let me tell you why I want you to say that word and kind of get used to it. Because I realize that the word, that for some of you at least, carries a very negative connotation. Because how many times have I ever heard people, and how many times have you ever heard people make this statement, I just don't like confrontation. Now, there are a lot of you in this room, you're sitting there right now, and you're already uncomfortable. You say, man, that's me. I just don't like confrontation. Well, I'll be honest with you. There are 12 Saturdays in the fall of the year. I love confrontation. I love it especially when it takes place as it did yesterday in Athens, Georgia. I like it for three reasons. Number one, I'm not in it. Number two, I get to watch it. And number three, most of the time my side wins it. So there are 12 Saturdays of the year. I love confrontation. Now seriously, I know that confrontation is distaste, is distasteful. You know, one of the things, the pa I tell young pastors this, if you're going to be a pastor, the, the pastor that God wants you to be, you have got to learn the art of confrontation. You don't have a choice. You, 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 it's not an option. If you're going to be a leader, listen, if you're going to grow a business, you've got to learn the art of confrontation. If you're going to build a marriage that's going to last, you've got to learn the art of confrontation. And there is an art and there is a science to confrontation. And, I, and listen, I realize that repairing relationships is like changing a dirty diaper. I get that. You're not going to clean the mess up till you get messy with it. It's just not going to happen. So what we're going to do this morning is this. We're going to look at some scripture. And, and, and before I even tell you where this scripture is, let me just be honest with you. I believe, my opinion, that the scripture we're going to look at this morning is probably the most disobeyed scripture in all of the Bible. Now, there's some pastors that might say, and I'm not being funny, I say that some pastors say, oh, no, tithing. That's the most disobeyed scripture in, in, in the church. I don't think so. 
I really believe this may be the most disobeyed passage, at least for fellow Christians, in the Bible. So if you bought a copy of, of, of God's Word this morning or a tablet or an iPad, smartphone, whatever, I want you to turn to Matthew. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the very first Gospel about just right after the last book of the Old Testament. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 18. Now, I, I, let me just say this up front. I, I was thinking about this as I worked on this message several weeks ago. I believe probably 90% of the headaches that I deal with as a pastor, 90% of my headaches would be taken care of if we would all just obey this passage of Scripture. But my life would be so much easier as a pastor if we would just take care of uh, and, and obey this passage because I can't tell you how many times I have to deal with situations and I find myself saying, what we have here is a failure to confront. We just have a failure here to confront. Now, if you live long enough, you're going to learn conflict is a part of life. You're going to have conflict. And confrontation is often the only thing that will resolve that conflict. Now, in fact, let me just back up and say this. Conflict in and of itself is not necessarily negative. Here's when a conflict gets negative. A conflict gets negative when either that conflict is unresolved or the confrontation that needs to take place never takes place. And the reason why many times it never takes place is because we've got this idea, if we're not the ones that caused the problem, we're not responsible to fix the problem. If I'm not the one that broke it, I'm not supposed to be the one to fix it. And here's what you're going to learn today. Jesus begs to differ. Jesus says that's not right. You may not be the one that broke it. In fact, let's say you're not the one that broke it. Jesus said, you still have a responsibility to take the first step to fix it. I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. There are no problems too big to solve, just people too little to solve them. There are no problems too big to solve, just people too little to solve them. And if you're in a relationship that has been ruptured because of someone else's fault, I'm going to share with you today how to take that first step of confrontation to try to begin the process to heal that hurt, to fix that friendship, and to restore that relationship. This is what I want you to take out the door today. Confrontation is God's path to reconciliation. Confrontation is God's path to reconciliation. Listen, you're sitting there today and you're saying, I want to say it again, Pastor. I'm, going to, I'm just telling you, I don't like confrontation, okay? I'm not asking you to like it. I'm asking you to do it. And you say, oh, I can't do it. Sure, we do things every day we don't like to do. There are a lot of you going to get up in the morning at 5 o'clock to drive and fight traffic all the way downtown to Atlanta. I promise you nobody's going to get up in the morning and say, hot dog, can't wait to hit that traffic. But you're going to do it. Why? Because you've got to put food on your table. We do things every day that we don't like but we know we need to do. So I want to share with you today how to take that step when someone has offended us, someone has hurt us, someone has sinned against us, and it's their fault. They did it. We didn't do it. It's they did it. We're going to see this morning what God has to say about why we're the ones that ought to take that first step and how we ought to do it. Okay, let's write down two or three things. Number one, we've got to be willing to confront personally. We've got to be willing to confront personally. Now listen to Matthew 18, 15. If your brother or your sister, that's important. We're getting real specific. If your brother or your sister, and it doesn't mean your physical brother or sister, though it could be, it means your spiritual brother or sister. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault 
just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Now, Jesus is dealing with a situation where he says, look, I, I get it. It's not your fault. It's their fault. You're the offended party. And we're dealing with a situation here where a fellow believer, someone in the church, someone in the family of faith, someone in the family of God, they have sinned against you, they, they, they've done something to you, and you are the innocent party. Now, what do you do in that situation? Well, before we get into this, I want you to keep two things in mind. First of all, Jesus here is dealing with an internal matter in the church. He's not talking about people who don't know the Lord. He's not talking about people who are not members of God's family. He's not talking about people outside the church who are in the world. That's not our job. That's not our responsibility. It's not our responsibility to be the world's policeman. And every time we see a sinner sinning, confront that sinner because he's sinning. Because this is what I don't understand about us sometimes. I don't know why we get so shocked that sinners sin. I don't know why that shocks us. I mean, sin or sin, that's what they do. That's what we do, okay? So that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about, number one, we're dealing with a situation where two members of a church or two members of God's family, two members who both claim to be followers of Jesus, they've got this conflict, and one of them is at fault, and one of them is at not. Now, the other thing I want you to notice is this. There is an assumption here that this problem is so big that this offense is so great that it calls for confrontation. It rises to the level that confrontation is a necessity. Because let me, let, me, let me just, before I get into all this, let me, let me go back and kind of, kind of give you a little caveat to what I'm talking about. Whenever somebody offends you, there's always two ways you can deal with it. One way you can deal with it is you can overlook it. The other way you can deal with it is to confront it. Now, let me just say this. In many situations, as a matter of fact, probably in most situations, the best way to resolve a conflict is just to overlook it. As a matter of fact, a little tip here. If you're married, you better develop the spiritual gift of overlooking. Because if you don't, you're going to be at war 24-7. I'm just telling you right now. You've got to realize not every battle is worth fighting. In fact, Proverbs 19.11 says this. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense, okay? So when somebody offends you, there may be times you might want to say, I just need to overlook that. Now, here, 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 let me give you a personal example. I used to really get so angry back when I first started driving and, and, and years ago when people would cut me off in traffic. Oh, I used to get so mad, you know, and I'd blow my horn. This is before I, anybody knew who I was. And so, I'd, I mean, I'd, I'd blow my horn, you know, and I'd, oh, I'd, I'd just, I would really get, I mean, unbelievably ticked off. Well, I don't do that anymore. People cut me off. I just, hey, look, no harm, no foul. Why do I do that? A, I'm a pastor, right? Got to set the example. B, I might get my head blown off, okay? So I said, you know, it's just probably not worth anybody getting their head blown off with it. So I just kind of, you know, back off. There are some offenses you, offenses you just overlook, but now let's be honest. There are some offenses that just can't be overlooked. And if you're here this morning and you're brooding over or you're upset or you're listening this morning, if you're here in, in, our, in our new campus or whatever, if, you're li if, if, if you go to bed every night bitter or upset, there's somebody you're not right with, there's a grudge you're carrying around, that is probably a signal to you this is an offense that for whatever the reason you don't think it could be overlooked. You just don't believe that. As a matter of fact, 
The reason why confrontation is necessary is not just because this person's hurt you, but if they continue doing what they did to hurt you, they're going to hurt somebody else, right? So the first thing Jesus tells us to do is this. Go and point out their fault. Now let me just stop. Watch this. Often it is right here where the problem gets worse. Because when somebody hurts us and makes us mad or angry or really, really offends us, we either don't go to that person or we do something even worse, we go to the wrong person. And, and, and when that happens, and I've seen this happen so many times, what could have been a tiny tumor that could have been removed now metastasizes throughout the whole body. And it doesn't matter why you don't do it, whether it's, you, you know, I don't like confrontation or, or you, I don't, just don't have the courage to do it. Or what's even worse, I just don't value that relationship enough even to make it right. We just don't deal with it. And we think if we just don't deal with it, it will go away. But you know what we find out? It doesn't go away. And when you don't deal with the problem that ought to be dealt with, you know what happens? Then the problem begins to deal with you. And then you start growing bitter. And then you start growing angry. And every time you think about that person, I mean, your blood pressure begins to go up. I mean, you think about it. You brood over it. Bitterness begins to seep into the bloodstream. And then let me tell you what happens. It always happens. That bitterness will finally rise to a certain level where you know what? It will explode out of your mouth. You're going to go talk to somebody about it. And when you do, the, what could have been a molehill turns into a mountain because here's how this works. When you go to a person about a problem who is neither a part of the problem nor can be the solution to the problem, you just made that person a part of the problem. I'm going to say that again. When you go to a person about a problem who is neither a part of the problem nor can be a solution to the problem, you just made that person a part of the problem. So Jesus said, look, here's step number one. Somebody's offended you, go to that person and go only to that offending party. You say, but I'm not the one that broke it. Jesus said, it doesn't matter. Even if you're not the one that broke it, you're to be the one that should take the initiative to try to fix it. So understand that when <clears throat> someone hurts you, someone offends you, someone sins against you, Jesus said, you don't think about it. You don't pray about it. You don't just talk about it. You go to that person and you lovingly but firmly and personally confront that person. All right? So you got to be willing to confront personally. Number two. You got to be willing to confront privately. Got to be willing to confront privately. Now, let me just go back and answer a question that I, I'd be asking if I were you. All right, I, I still don't get it. I don't understand. <clears throat> Why should I fix it when I ain't the one that broke it? Why should I be the one to try to fix the fault when I'm not the one that's fault? That's at fault. I mean, if I'm the one that got hurt, shouldn't I wait on the one who hurt me to come and make things right? Well, to put this in context, I want to show you something else Jesus said. Because Jesus, before he talked about a family, he talks about a flock. It's amazing how Jesus could do this. Look what he says in, in verse 12. He says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains? And go in search of the one that went astray. Now, go by, by the way, little, uh, let me help you here. If Jesus ever asks you, what do you think, never answer his question. 
Because no matter what you say, he's going to tell you why you're wrong. Okay, so I'm just telling you right now. If he ever asks you what do you think, you just say, Lord, I really don't have an opinion. Okay, I just, I just want to hear what you've got to say. Because what he does is this. And this is kind of, this is so brilliant. Nobody would have ever thought about this except Jesus. Jesus knew that there'd be some of you out there right now, and you're so mad right now, you're saying, why should I be the one to take the first step to reconcile when I'm not the one that ruptured the relationship? And so Jesus says, can we just put that aside for a minute? Let me talk to you about a shepherd and the sheep. And you're going, why in the world would you talk about a shepherd and his sheep? Well, he gives the example of a shepherd. He's got 100 sheep. But out of that 100 sheep, he has lost one sheep. Now, if you'd been in that audience back then when, where, where you know, being a shepherd was a common uh, uh, vocation, everybody knew what a good shepherd would do in that situation, right? So somebody tell me, what would a good shepherd do? Yeah, he'd go after the one. He'd leave the 99, right? And he would go after the one. Now, at first, that seems a little bit strange. You say, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get that exactly. If you've got 99 sheep and you've lost only one, why wouldn't you just stay with the 99? Well, you think about this. Hey, have you ever noticed that when you lose something, you are a lot more concerned with what you lost than what you still have? You ever noticed that? For example, you ever lost your car keys? Have you ever lost your car keys? You ever lost, okay, you lost your car keys. All right, when you lose your car keys, do you, say, do you just say, well, I still have my car. You know what you do? You start tearing that house, the house apart. You, you, you've got to find those, those keys, right? I mean, then you are obsessed with finding those car keys. Your, your day's ruined till you find those car keys. Or, or for example, let's say you've got three young children, and you take them into Walmart. All of a sudden, you look around, and one's missing. Well, you just don't just keep shopping and say, well, I've at least got two more. <laughs> now, some of you might say, well, it all depends on which one's missing. Okay, I get that. But, 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 but I mean, seriously. When you look around, if one of those kids is missing, all of a sudden you're not even thinking about the other two. You're, you start looking for that, for that kid, and you get on the loudspeaker. You get every employee and customer in that store looking for that child, right? So Jesus adds this in verse 13. And if he finds it truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. Now, why is that true? Why is it when you find something that's lost, You've got more joy over finding what you lost than the joy that you had over all that you had left. The reason why there's so much joy when you find a lost sheep or a lost child is not because that sheep is more valuable than the other sheep, not because that child is more valuable than the other children. It's not that they're more loved than the ones that were not lost. It's because that's the one that needed to be rescued. And that's the one that needed to be found. And here's the point Jesus is making. When a friendship has been fractured, a relationship has been ruptured, you need to see the person that hurt you and the person that offended you and the person that sinned against you as a lost sheep that has wandered away from a relationship. And here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, don't you agree with me that a brother or a sister ought to be more important than a sheep? Don't you agree that a lost relationship with a brother or sister in Christ ought to be more important than a lost sheep? See, here's the point. Let me tell you why I hope many of you today will change your mind about confrontation. Confrontation is not for retribution. It's for rescue. It's not for revenge. 
It's for restoration. When you confront someone that's hurt you, you're not trying to win an argument. You're try trying to win a brother or a sister. You're not trying to avenge a wrong. You're trying to restore a relationship. And that's why this next step is so crucial. Watch this now. Listen. He says, point out their fault. Now, this is big. Just between the two of you. Jesus said, the way to restore a relationship that's been ruined or ruptured is you go to the right person. And Jesus said there's only one right person, and that's the person that's done you wrong. When somebody hurts you, somebody sins against you, somebody offends you, and it's their fault, Jesus said you go to the right person, and the only right person is the person that hurt you. If you go to anybody else, you have gone to the wrong person. Now, this is very important. Whenever conflict occurs, keep the circle of people involved as small as possible for as long as possible. You know what we do? We do just the opposite. We tell everybody except the person we ought to be talking to. You know what we call that? Gossip. And I'm telling you, it causes, I can't tell you how many headaches it causes a pastor. I can't tell you how many problems I've got to deal with, and I've got to start. It's like, a, it's, it's, it's like, it's like an onion. You just got to you keep pulling layers back till you finally find out, oh, so the problem started here, right? Yeah, the problem started there. Then deal with where the problem started. Now, do you understand why it's so important that you go privately to that person? Let me tell you why that's such a big deal. When you go privately to that person, you don't have an audience, you, nobody else is listening, it's just you and that person. When you go privately to that person, you're making something very obvious to that person. You're letting that person know, I am not here to win an argument. I'm here to win you. I'm not here to take my pound of flesh. I'm here to try to make things right. I'm not here to throw you under the bus. I am really here trying to rebuild a relationship. I am not here for condemnation. I am here for restoration. Now, let me just stop. I know what's happening in, in this room right now. I know what's happening at Mill Creek. I know what's happening, people watching on the web. I know it right now. Excuses are flying all over the place. It won't do any good. I've tried that before. They won't listen. It'll just make things worse. Well, Jesus, being Jesus, he said, I knew you'd have those excuses. Anticipating them, he says this. If, you see that word? If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Jesus said, look, I, I understand. There's a possibility they won't listen. There's a possibility they'll slam the door in your face. There's a possibility they'll say, hit the road, Jack. I get that. But Jesus said, the issue is not, will they listen? That's not the issue. The issue is, will you at least give them a chance to listen and maybe rebuild that relationship? So Jesus says, when you choose to handle a conflict with someone the right way at the right time, and you privately and you personally go to that person who has offended you, here's what Jesus is telling us. Whenever you do that, it's always a win-win proposition. I want you to watch this. See, sometimes we think, well, now if I take that first step and I go and they get mad at me or it makes things worse or they don't listen or they order me out of their house, I, I mean, then I've lost. Listen, whenever you do things the right way at the right time with the right person, it is always a win-win proposition. It's not a win-lose. Let me tell you why. Remember, you're not going to win an argument. Now, that's a win-lose. 
You're not going to win an argument. You're going to win that person. All right, now look what happens. Let's suppose you go to that person and you confront that person personally and privately. You hurt me. You did this to me. and You know you did this. I want to make things right. I, I, I'm here to forgive you. I'm asking you to now to work with me and make things right. I want you to admit to me what you did wrong. That's all I want you to do. And, 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 and I'm, here to ask, I'm here to give you forgiveness. And I'm here to work this out. Let's suppose they listen. To your shock and amazement, they listen. What happens? You win, they win, right? You, you want a brother, and, and, and they've gotten back right with you. They've gotten back right with God. So, you know, you both win. Now, you're saying, this, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What if that person doesn't listen? It's still a win-win. You say, I don't understand. You still win. Why do you still win? Because you did what Jesus told you to do. You did the right thing. You went to the right person, right time, the right way, right attitude. So you still win. You say, well, what about that person that turned us down? Doesn't matter. Because they still win too. You say, why? Because if they don't listen, they at least heard what they did wrong. They were at least confronted, and you gave the Holy Spirit a chance to work on their heart. And at the very worst, maybe it will keep them from doing the same thing to somebody else. So it's a win-win. But if you don't go at all, it is a lose-lose. You lose, they lose, and anyone connected to the problem loses. And Jesus said, just as a shepherd rejoices over one lost sheep that is found, Jesus said, and this is true, Jesus said, there is no joy like restoring a relationship. There is no joy like fixing a friendship. There is no joy like mending a marriage and keeping people from self-destructing the way they treat other people. All right, now, but let's deal with this scenario. Let's suppose you do the right thing, go to the right person, right time, right way, right attitude, and let's suppose they don't listen. They're not having any of you. They're not having any of it. They have no interest in doing the right thing. They've got no interest in restoration. They've got no interest in reconciliation, none whatsoever. What do you do? Jesus, all right, one last step. You be willing to confront patiently. Now, let's suppose you do the right thing, go to the right person, do it the right way. You're rejected. They don't listen. They, they want to admit they're wrong. They refuse to make things right. And they tell you, they order you out of their life again. All right. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 16. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, look, let, let's go back to that child that was lost in Walmart. What do you do? Let's suppose you go looking for that child at first and you can't find that child. What's the next thing you do? You, you, you'd start finding employees. You'd start finding people. You'd get on the intercom. You'd say, please, all of you, let's get together. Help me to find that child. Why would you do that? Because you don't want to give up on that child. You're not going to give up until that child is found. And, G and what Jesus is saying is, just as God does not, doesn't give up on us, we should not give up on others. So Jesus says in this case, in this case take one or two others along with you. Now, what's the purpose of doing that? Well, there's several reasons why you ought to do that. He said, first of all, if you go back again and you take a couple of other people with you, now you're really showing this person, look, I'm not on a personal vendetta here. I'm, not, I'm really not trying to burn you here. I'm really, I'm really trying to show you I am serious about your relationship. I value our relationship so much, I'm willing to come back a second time and really try to work things out and make things right. The other reason you should take two or three people with you is so that they can confirm, A, 
you've done the right thing, you, you, you fulfilled your responsibility, and also confirm that the other person that is at fault is still at fault. So when you bring other people along, you just brought two things with you. You brought objectivity because they're not emotionally involved. They're there to just hear the conversation. And you brought accountability both to yourself and to the person that has offended you. You say, all right, what if that doesn't work? Look what Jesus says in verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and as a tax collector. Now, let me just point out something that you probably wouldn't think about. When Jesus said, tell it to the church, he obviously at that moment in time was not talking about the church. And how do we know he wasn't talking about the church? Somebody tell me. Because it wasn't a church, right? It wasn't a church. So when Jesus said, tell it to the church, what he meant was, Take this to a group of people that you know that also may know that other person, that almost also may have a relationship with that other person so that they can know you've done everything possible to bring reconciliation. So you might want to take a couple of friends of yours that are also friends of that person. Or maybe it's someone that's in your small group. Maybe it's someone that you could trust uh, to, 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 to uh, go and, 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 and listen to them. So it, it's, it's not the church. He's saying, look, just take some other folks with you. And it may be there's one person in that group. Maybe that person will listen to them. And maybe that person will finally make things right. And then Jesus said, if that doesn't work, then you treat him as an outsider. You treat him as if he's not a brother or a sister because that's the way Jewish people looked at Gentiles and tax collectors. Now, let me tell you what I'm not saying there. That doesn't mean you're mean-spirited to him. That doesn't mean every time you see him and you get close enough, you put a wad of tobacco in your mouth and spit on him. It, it, it doesn't mean that you, you know, that you refuse to speak to them. That's not what it means. What it means is you cut off fellowship with them. You let them know we're not going to have any more social contact any more relational contact until this problem is resolved. Now, why do you do And by the way, you're not the only one to do that. Any of his friends are to do that. All of, all of the people that are involved should say to that person, we're not, doing any, we're not playing golf with you anymore. We're not going out to eat with you anymore. We, we love you. We're going to pray for you. But till you do the right thing and make this right, we, have, we are going to have no social, relational contact with you. And the purpose of that, again, we're not trying to be mean to anybody. You're trying to drive them to a place where they're so broken over what they've done, they will finally do their part to restore that relationship. Now, let me tell you why I, this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And let me tell you why I love Matthew 18. You ready? It works. It works. It, it, it works in a marriage. It works in a friendship. It works in a business. It works with neighbors. It works in any relationship. And by the way, all God is asking us to do is to treat others the way he treats us. Let me tell you what I mean by that. How many of you here would say in the last week you, you committed some sin against God? How many of you would say that in the last week? You better raise your hand. I'm going to call hell fire down on you. You don't raise your hand. Raise them real high. Let's all the sinners in here. That's right. In fact, if you really sin, raise both hands, all right? All right, now, we've all sinned against God. All right, now, watch this. I'll, I'll be the first one. Yeah, I have. In the last week, I, I have sinned against God, okay? Now, let's watch this. When I sinned against God, God didn't tell Teresa about it. God didn't tell my staff about it. 
God didn't tell my administrative assistant about it. God didn't tell my friends about it. God didn't tell you about it. So who did God tell about it? He told me. He came to the store. He said, you have sinned against me. I thank God every time I sin against God. I'm so grateful God doesn't blog about it. I'm so glad God doesn't tweet about it or subtweet about it. I'm so glad he doesn't talk to anybody else about it. You know what God does? He tells me about it. He convicts me. He confronts me. And what God does for us, we ought to be willing to do for others. So today, I'm going to ask you as we kind of wrap this first part up, I'm going to ask you to do one of two things. I'm going to give you an assignment. Let's suppose you've been carrying a grudge against someone. And let's suppose that deep down in your heart you realize it's just not worth dealing with. Yes, they've hurt you and yes, they've offended you. But, but, but you know, deep down, you know, you, you just need to just kind of forget about it. All right? Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to go home before you do this. If you're going to eat lunch at home, do it before you eat lunch. If you're going to go out to eat, do it as soon as you get home after you eat. Go home, get a sheet of paper. Write down the offense that that person committed against you. Write it down. And then I want you to wad that paper up and throw it away and say, okay, I'm done with that. I'm just choosing to overlook it. So if you know deep down there's an offense that you've been carrying it around, and what you really know is, you know what, in the grand scheme of things, it just isn't that big a deal. I'm just going to overlook it and let it go. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to start treating that person totally, completely forgiven. And I want you to do that. Now, let's suppose you're carrying around a grudge, bitterness, anger, unresolved conflict in your heart. And it's because somebody's offended you and the offense is so big, you just can't overlook it. And I'm going to ask you, in whatever means you've got, it may be someone that lives a thousand miles away. Maybe you can't do it face to face. You do it over the telephone or do it, do it by Skype. I don't care. But I'm going to ask you to make it a point. I'm going to confront that person. I'm going to go to that person that's offended me. I'm going to man up. I'm going to step up. I'm going to do the right thing. And I'm going to let that person know, I'm here today to try to restore this relationship. Things are not right between us, and I'm here. If you'll work with me, we're going to make things right because I want that lost sheep to be found. I want that relationship to be restored. And let me tell you why this is so important. When we sinned, when we offended God, when we were the ones at fault, when we broke the relationship and it was all on us, what did God do? He sent Jesus to us. He sent Jesus to restore that ruptured relationship. He sent Jesus to fix what we had broken. He sent Jesus to die on a cross and raise him from the dead that we might be reconciled to him. And what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, we ought to be willing to do for others. So no more of this, well, I just don't like confrontation. It is not a matter of liking it. It is a matter of doing it. Jesus, we know from the Garden of Gethsemane, wasn't real excited about dying for us, but he did it because he loved us. You may not be real excited. It may take more courage than you think you've got in your heart to go confront someone, but if you love that person the way you ought to love them, and if you love them the way that God has loved us, you will go confront. So I want to wrap all this up. I thought it would be a great way to do this. Jim Cimbala 
many of you know, is the pastor of the Brooklyn Tab up in New York, great church. And Cymbala tells the story of how back in the days when they were meeting in the YWCA, he was welcoming new members into the church. And he said, one Sunday, he said, all these had all these new members down in front. They were joining the church. And he said, I did something that was totally unrehearsed. Didn't even think about doing it. It just kind of came out of me. But he, it was so of God, it is stuck with him, and he does it even to this day. I want you to listen to what he does. He said, people were standing in a row across the front. And he said, as he was just welcoming them into the church and telling them how glad he was that they had you know, decided to join Brooklyn Tab, he said, the Holy Spirit prompted him to say this. I want you to listen. I'm going to read it. Listen to what he said. He's talking to these new members. He says, and now I charge you as pastor of this church that if you ever hear another member speak an unkind word of criticism or slander against anyone, myself, another pastor, an usher, or anyone else, you have the authority to stop that person mid-sentence and say, excuse me, who hurt you? Who offended you? Who slighted you? Was it Pastor Simbala? Let's go to his office right now. We'll make sure he gets on his knees and apologizes to you. And then we'll pray together so that God can restore peace to this body. But I will not let you talk critically about people who are not present to defend themselves. Do you members? Please understand, I'm entirely serious about this. I want you to help resolve this kind of thing immediately. And meanwhile, know this. If you're the one doing the, laws, the loose talking, we are going to confront you. Now, I'll tell you, if I'd been standing down there as a new member, I'd been about to wet my pants. But I mean, this guy's serious. I mean, this guy's really serious. Then Jim Cimbala says this. Listen to this. To this very day, every time we receive new members, I say much the same thing. That's because I know what most easily destroys churches is not crack cocaine. It's not government oppression. It is not lack of money. It is gossip and slander that grieves the Holy Spirit. Now, here's where we are as a fellowship. Real simple. Beginning today, beginning right now. When somebody does a wrong thing to you, I'm talking about somebody in the family of faith. When somebody does the wrong thing to do to you, the wrong thing to you, you do the right thing to them. In love and in grace, you confront because confrontation is the path to reconciliation in a world of frustrating friendships and messy relationships because every day, every single day, we ought to be thankful to God that when we're the ones that broke it, God sent Jesus to fix it. Let's pray together. With his bowed and with eyes closed, let me just tell you where you are right now. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, let me tell you where you are right now. You're separated from God. 